All right, all right. Happy 20 years, Rockbridge. Just wherever you're at, one of our six locations, and I want to say special welcome to those of you who are online. Special welcome, hola, to our uh, Spanish speakers. But just wherever you're at, would you just honor God for 20 amazing years here at Rockbridge Community Church? And we praise God for what He's done. We honor Him. And we praise Him and we thank Him for that. So we're so glad that you're here today. However you're here today, you're not here, you're not engaged, you're not listening by accident. Before we move ahead, I just want to remind everyone or show, tell everyone something that every Monday we have pastors and staff out in our community at these locations at these times, one, to pray, to talk, ask questions. So just note those times, note those locations. You can also find this information on our website just us being out in the community and being available just to connect, to pray, to serve, however we can uh, come alongside, however we can be of assistance. We call those Monday meetups. So yeah, we're turning, uh, we've turned 20 years old today, this weekend. Uh, we're fired up about that. And I, and I heard a quote from another pastor a couple of months ago that I think really captures what we're a part of when we say we're a part of the church, and certainly when we say we're a part of Rockbridge Community Church. Here's the statement, that dreams don't come true, decisions do. Dreams don't come true, decisions do. Because in some ways, we, we, 20 years ago, we could not have dreamed that we would be in six locations, have impact all over the world, be in two languages, English and Spanish, be uh, broadcasting online all over the world, where, wherever folks choose to access us through our online connections. We could not have dreamed how many people would have come to faith in Christ. We could not have dreamed any of this. But our two dozen or so, dozen or two dozen or so people made a decision to trust God, to start a new kind of church in the middle of the Bible Belt where there's a church on every corner, but this wasn't going to be a church for church people. This was going to be a church for people from all walks of life. This was not going to be a church that was about its own preferences, traditions, or religious rituals. This was going to be a church squarely about a vibrant, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so two dozen or so, 20, 25 people stepped out in faith and just made a decision to move forward in faith. And I remember... About five years in, that original group got together, and one of the founding members, who was my eighth grade Sunday school teacher, Harlan Godfrey, who's since gone on to be the, with the Lord, we were talking and we asked, why do you think we've had such favor? Why do you think we've been able to ha have, have the growth and, this, and the life change and, this, and the baptisms that we've had? And Harlan said, without batting an eye, he said, because we decided to. We decided to be about what God wanted us to be about as best we could. But you know, actually, the, the, uh, the decision was not ours and is not ours. The decision to build a church, the decision to advance the kingdom of Jesus, came from Jesus himself. God made a decision. We, we find that in Matthew 16, where Simon Peter says that, to Jesus, he says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the one the world's been waiting on since Genesis 3 when the world became broken. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, son of Bar Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has showed you who I am. 
And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, this confession, who Christ is, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That God made a decision that he was going to build his church through people who trusted in his son, Jesus Christ, and were committed to his dream or his vision or his mission. And we get a little bit of that vision, that dream of God, in what we call great, the Great Commission, one of our passages that we studied when we were starting Rockbridge. And it's kind of one of the last things Jesus said. He said, he came near to his disciples. He said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I have all power. I have all authority. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. We say that at Rockbridge. We want you to live sent. I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples, make students, uh, make apprentices of all nations, all ethnic groups, all languages, all tribes, all walks of life, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Trinity, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember the greatest promise ever, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so that's how the church got started back in the first century. And there was about 12 people that heard Jesus say this, and they didn't have any idea of Dalton, Georgia, or Cleveland, Tennessee, or Calhoun, or Ringgold, or Chatsworth, or, or Hickson. They didn't have it. Rockbridge wasn't in their mind, but they made a decision. And then in about 42 AD, a guy named Mark, and we, one of the uh, books of the Bible is named after him, he goes to Egypt and shares the message of Jesus Christ. Paul goes to Asia Minor and then later to Europe in a massive church planting operation. Thomas goes to India, and so by the, third, by the end of the first century, there's three major hubs of church planting and multiplication in the world, in Antioch, Alexandria, and Rome. By the third century, over half of the Roman Empire, which previously had tried to crush and oppress and persecute Christians into oblivion, half of that empire now confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In, the, in 432 A.D., a guy named Patrick decides to go share the gospel in Ireland. In 596 A.D., a guy named Augustine goes to England, and within two years, 10,000 people around Canterbury, have been baptized. In 1200 A.D., we suddenly get the Bible available in multiple languages uh, by the work of John Hoos and John Wycliffe, and they had this motto that the power is in the Word and let the Word do the work. And when we started our church, we said, hey, we're only going to have one tradition, and it's not dress codes, and it's not musical preferences or musical styles. We're not going to fight over that. It's not what I want. We're going to have one tradition at Rockbridge. It's going to be the Bible, the Scriptures, the 66 books inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by 40 authors over 15, 1,600 years. That's our authority. That's our revelation from God that we'll operate from. So the Bible becomes available. In, in 1526, Tyndall translates it into, the Bible into, into English. He's burned at the stake for it. As he's dying, he says, may the king's eyes be opened. Within a hundred years, the king has allowed the translation that is now known as the King James Version to be translated, and, and, and this the translation of the Bible into English results in awakening and revivals in the next three centuries. It launches what's known the era of missions, where, where people begin to actually go and make disciples of all nations at an unprecedented rate. 
And so in 1587, there's two people are baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in North Carolina, first two baptisms upon our continent. And in the 17, 18, 1900s, we have three great awakenings where we have massive numbers of people coming to Christ, denominations that are evangelical, they are living sin, sharing the message of Christ, that are, that are started, and, and, and Christianity just begins to sweep through and be involved somewhat into the founding of our nation, the United States of America. And we're here today, 20 years of Rockbridge Community Church, part of this dream of God, this decision of the people of God to move with the Spirit of God in fulfillment of Jesus' promise, I will build my church as you go and make disciples of all nations, teaching and baptizing them, and all to the glory of God. So that's just some decisions and, uh, that, that arose and that happened to see the church go from nothing to, to something so incredibly significant and powerful. But there's another passage of Scripture that gets us in, inside the heart of God, and we get to see the dream of God, uh, of how His people, uh, under His power and influence, become impactful and how that works. And that'll invite us into some decisions today. So I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, you can turn it on, open it up to Ezekiel chapter 47. And we're going to see one of the most powerful symbols that's portrayed or given to us in the Old Testament that points to realities in the New Testament. A lot of times symbols in the Old Testament become realities in the New Testament and are fulfilled or obtain their full meaning through the revelation of Jesus Christ, and that's what we have here. So in Ezekiel 47, we'll begin in verse 1, Ezekiel's getting a tour of this new temple uh, by, by a heavenly vi visitor, right? And, 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 and so we get this, to the last part of this tour, and we come back to the temple. And so we, we pick up the Word of God here. Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. So significant, we have the, no, the concept of a temple, the house of God, if you will. We have the importance of water, which, which in the first century, in, in desert regions, of course, where we're centered here in Jerusalem, is essential to life. And the water was coming down from the south side of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. So it sort of looks like this, if we could depict it. Here's what Ezekiel is being shown, and that's in chapters 40 through 46. And then in 47, he draws attention to this river that is coming out of the temple area. Here's the altar where the sacrifices were made because you have to ha have cleansing of sin uh, through the blood of, of the animals and, and pointing to the blood of Jesus, right, for purification and sin. And the water flows past that and comes out of the temple like this. And so this is what uh, a, a visual portrait of what Ezekiel is seeing in this incredible vision. And this becomes foundational for us because there's three things that we need to see. This is symbolic representation of God's people. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 will tell us that we are the temple of God, that we are the temple of God. So in the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. In the New Testament, God's people are His temple. So we see that this is the people of God. And the other symbolic representation is the altar area, place of sacrifice that points us to the death of Jesus who died in our place and who died for us. 
Secondly, we, know, we need to note the strategic importance of water. And this, the rest of this passage will be broken down by this. We'll, we'll talk about the source, the course, and the force of this river. The source, the course, and the force of this Ezekiel 47 river. But we need to understand this. Jerusalem is the only ancient city that was never developed around a river. Back then, rivers were essential so much for commerce and life and even defense as the, as the waters became a natural barrier to prevent opposing forces from attacking. Jerusalem's the only ancient city that doesn't have such a river. And so Ezekiel is seeing something that is not literal, but is supernatural. That this, this river coming out of the temple, flowing past the altar in the house of God is supernaturally sourced, which in the New Testament, Jesus talks about a river of life, springs of life welling up inside of us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and, and that when we're thirsty, we draw from this eternal source. And so we stop here and we start to begin, be, be invited to make decisions in line with the dream that God's sharing through this vision to Ezekiel. And the first decision point is catch the vision and connect with the source. That we need to catch the vision God has for who we are to be. That we need to connect, that we need to catch the vision for what God wants for us. That how God views us. That when God sees you, thinks of you, looks at you, has purposes for you, has plans for you, that we understand that vision. That his vision is not that we all live the American dream, retire and die at a ripe old age. That we understand that his vision for us is not simply that we have a life of comfort and convenience, but his vision for us is that we have life-giving water flowing in us and through us and out of us to the world around us. And then we have to understand what the source is. See, everybody walked in here today and we have a source of life. And I don't just mean the oxygen you just breathed that the Creator God provided or the sun or the food that came up from the ground that's all of that which supports our biological existence. I'm talking about a source that fuels us for who we are, that fuels us for why we are, that fuels us for purpose and significance. And that source comes and is of God and from God and for God's glory. We note significantly, significantly, that this source this comes not from a government building. It comes not from a sports arena. It comes not from the marketplace. It comes from God's house, God's people, God's temple. So the question we can ask ourselves afresh today, Rockbridge and all of those who are watching, is have we, what have we decided to do with Jesus and his church? And does our decision match his dream? We're going to still talk about the source, the source, the course, and the force of the river, Ezekiel 47.2. Next, he brought me out by way of the north gate, led me around the outside of the outer gate that faced east, and there was water trickling, just a small trickle of water from the south side. As the man went out east, this is his heavenly tour guide, Ezekiel's heavenly tour guide, went out east with a measuring line. He measured off, and he wants Ezekiel to note the course of the river, what's happening with this trickle of water. So he measured off a third of a mile and led me through the water, and it came up to my ankles. Then he measured off a third of a mile and led me through the water, and it came up to my knees. So we're getting deeper and more expansive and richer and fuller. He measured off another third of a mile and led me through the water, and it came up to my waist. 
Again, he measured off a third of a mile, and it was a river that I could not even cross on foot. So it's getting bigger and more powerful and, and more potent. For the water had risen, and it was deep enough to swim in a river that would, could not be crossed on foot. But it all began as a trickle. So let me say this with you. What we see as small or trickling, God knows will become great. What we see as small and trickling, God knows will become great. And I notice a trend in Scripture. It's also a trend I see in my, in my life. It's certainly a trend of Rockbridge in our history that our big, massive, awesome, incredible God, He has a remarkable love for the small. He started humanity with just one couple, right? He, he worked, He picked out an overlooked shepherd boy to become His model king. He chose a teenage girl to give birth to the Savior of the world who was born in a lowly, tiny manger. And he said, I'm going to build my church on the confession that I am the Messiah, that, that our big God has a, just an incredible, remarkable love for the small. And in fact, the prophet Zechariah tells us, do not despise the day of small things. So decision point number two is we catch the vision, embrace the source. Division point number two is we, we embrace the small and we be faithful and steadfast in it. See, there's this temptation, especially in our day, because our definition of good and great is often big and fast and quick and now and immediate and microwave and Wi-Fi, high speed, high def, right? But our God works through the small. So, it's, it's, so we must resist the temptation to think, man, things should be bigger than they are right now. We start small. We dream big, but we start small. We should resist the temptation to think that, hey, uh, it's got to happen now. So it means we pray big. We pray for revival, revival, but we invite one person to church with us. It means we envision our communities becoming better than they are because we're serving and we're loving, but it means we go give an hour of our time in a hope expression, or we say, hey, you know what, I'm going to live sin, I'm going to be a bridge builder, I'm going to serve in my church, I'm going to pray for one person to come to Christ through my life, through my influence this year. So we embrace the small, we remain steadfast in it, because here's what we know, Rockbridge, life change, people coming to faith in Christ happens one life life at a time, and that every number that of, of person that's ever walked through the door, every number is a name with a story that matters to God. I take you back to September 8, 2002, our first service, right? And, and our, our service start time was 1030. And I'll never forget that day as long as I live, because it was about 1020 and 1025, and there was nobody here except our original core folks. And I remember I had this thought. I had this thought. I said, okay, God, we tried, and we, th we thought we were obedient and faithful, but I guess it didn't work. And I'll never forget it. I walked out the doors, and I walked out onto the sidewalk where we had kind of our, what we call our, 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 like our greeters, our host team, and I looked to my left, and walking down the sidewalk, was one family that I had prayed for 
for as long as I had known I'm supposed to pray for people who are disconnected. And I thought, okay, God, that's the trickle. And I ran back inside. And I went to our production booth where we, our sound guys and all these folks were working. And I said, we're not starting the service at 1030. We're going to start it about three minutes late. Because I don't know why. I guess people are always late to something, right? And we had 241 people that day. And life change started. A trickle. One life at a time. So my name is Miriam Martinez, and I am from the Chatsworth campus. Hello, my name is Dorian Johnson. I am from the Calhoun campus. Hi, my name is Wanda Espy, and I attend the Hickson campus. My name is Juan Pineda, and I attend the Dalton campus. My daughter was three years old when I started coming into Rockbridge. She's a teenager now. She's about to be 13. So, you know, I've seen her go through children's ministry, and now she's part of the link. You know, that's just been amazing to see, you know, if it wouldn't have been for Rockbridge, I don't think I would have been as involved as I am now, or my daughter have that connection and that involvement and in wanting to know more about Christ. We started going to the old location uh, years ago in, at Calhoun. Life happened. I, my brother had committed suicide. My mod passed away, um, and I was just in a very dark space. So we stopped, we stopped going. Um, Carl Converse got me into therapy, and in that span, uh, several members of the Rockbridge community had reached out to us, and it's changed my life. When I first came to Rockbridge, I was going through a really difficult time. I was on the heels of a divorce and a toxic relationship after that, and I walked through the doors, and everybody was just so kind and so genuine and so loving and that impacted my life in such a great way. Uh, they didn't look at me, you know, like, oh, goodness, she's got a past. You know, they, they were just so kind and loving. Uh, what made a big impact in my life is when um, I was arrested and Pablo took the time to talk to me while I was there. And I felt loved at the moment. And from there on, we just started a, in a continuous uh, growth. Um, in this church, so. I'm excited to watch God move. That The image of Rockbridge bringing people together, different walks of life, Matt said it a million times, but to actually see it, that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful image. I think right now, I, serving at the student ministry, the students, they go from children's ministry to the link and to see them wanting to volunteer and step up at children's ministry. You know, it's like you see a lot of our students Sunday mornings with their children's shirt on because they're back there volunteering and helping the, the little ones, the next generation that's going to be coming up to the link and seeing their obedience is just, just amazing how God's working. You know, just to see the, the congregation grow and know that more leaders will be needed and just to see that uh, what God is doing in Rockbridge, not just in the Spanish service, but the surrounding areas called Hoon, Hicks, and Cleveland. It's very exciting because in, in, in my own ministry that, with the homeless, I would love to see a bus that I could go out and bring people that are in the homeless community into our church, all walks of life just bringing the community together 
We all need God. Uh, all walks of life, all lifestyles, we all need God. And the only way we can go to God is through Jesus. So that's a couple of stories. But over 2,600 people have been baptized in 20 years. A trickle. One life at a time. Don't despise small things. God sees that from small things become great things. We go back to the river in Ezekiel. And now we'll start to see the course and the force of this river. So he asked me, do you see this son of man? And anytime you see son of man in the book of Ezekiel, it's talking about our dependence and our weakness and that God uses us, that it's not of us, it's through us. It's of God through us. So do you see this, son of man? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. Because Remember, the river had gotten over his head. And when I had returned, I saw a very large number of trees along both sides of the river bank. He said to me, this water flows out to the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah. That, so now we're in desert area, dry, desolate, but trees are growing. It's life-giving, right? When it enters the sea, the sea of foul water, what we now call the Dead Sea, where nothing alive can live in it, the salt content's so big, I've actually been there, I've actually been in it. You can float on, you know, in it because it's so dense. So when, the, when it enters the sea, the Dead Sea, or the sea of foul water, the water of the sea becomes fresh, and every kind of living creature that swarms will live wherever the river flows. This is taking us back to Eden, right, where all the living creatures that God creates and gives dominion to that first couple over, now we're returning to the original plan, the vision, the dream of God, of people flourishing under the presence of God, the life-giving flow of this river. And there will be a huge number of fish because this water goes there, life-giving, transforming of dry, desolate places. Since the water will be, become fresh, there will be life everywhere the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to Engelam, and these will become places where the nets are spread out to dry, and their fish will consist of many different kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Yet its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be left for salt, presumably for the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, so, so for the sacrifices of the animals. But all kinds of trees providing food will grow along both banks of the river, and their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. Each month they will bear fresh fruit because the water comes, back to the source, from the sanctuary, the temple, from the, the work in the people of God that comes through the people of God to the, those who are around the people of God. Their fruit will be used for eating and their leaves for healing. So the beautiful thing about this river is that it bridges the gap. It connects and brings blessings to the dry and to the dead places. What we understand from Ezekiel 41, 40 through 46 is all of that is talking about the confines of the temple. The, the, the boundaries of the holy, right? The distinctness of God's people and God's places. But the river shows us that what goes on inside the temple, what goes on inside the people of God, what goes on inside the church is designed by God to flow out and impact and bring blessing to the dry and the dead places. Some of you today, I think, are dry and dead. The world around you could be dry and dead, but through the church, 
we bring life, life in Christ. So decision point number three, it's a decision that the 25 or so of us 20 years ago made, and we must keep making it every day. Know why we are blessed in Christ. We're blessed to bless. We're blessed to bring blessing and favor and life. We're blessed to live sent. We're blessed to live sent and share the love of Christ and be Christ to the world. You know, first 10 years of Rockbridge, when a person who's been with us a long time on staff, Alfred Turley, he shared this with me. He said, you know, I think what Rockbridge did in your first decade is you bridge this gap where in the Bible, but there's so much legalism. Legalism is basically that we have to do certain things in order to be acceptable by God versus, we have to, versus trusting what Christ has done for us, and that makes us right with God. So legalism is, is the do's and the don'ts. It's religion. And, and, and religious ritualism, that Rockbridge came talking about the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. We talked, talk, Rockbridge came talking about a relationship with God. I'll never forget one of the first persons that I helped cross the line of faith. We're sitting together at a restaurant, and I said, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And he's, he said, I've grown up in church all my life, and I've never even heard that. We'd heard about things you're supposed to do, heard about rituals you're supposed to perform. I never heard about what Jesus has done for you so you can be right with him and in a forever relationship with him and then represent him and give life to those around you. In our second decade, after the Great Recession, we recognize we've got to be bridge builders and bring blessing to those in poverty and those in brokenness, and we started our Hope Expressions. And we've gone global, and we're working now to take the gospel to unreached people groups all over the world, people groups where there's no church presence, no evangelical presence. And I think a great example of this is how we have been able, through your generosity, to even impact what's happening in the tragedy and the war and all the, the, the terrible consequences of that war in the nation of Ukraine. And I just want you to listen firsthand to someone thanking you for the impact, the river, the life that's flowing through you to impact people in Ukraine. Today I'm in Ukraine visiting refugees who have lost everything and giving them the help and aid that we have brought with us. Pastor Matt, I want to personally thank you and everyone there at Rock Bridge Community Church for helping refugees around the world. This refugee center in Ukraine is filled with 250 displaced mothers and children who have had to flee their homes and leave their husbands and fathers behind to fight in the war. And when families walk through these doors, they are tired and hungry and afraid. But your church did what Christ would do you showed refugees love while meeting their most urgent physical and spiritual needs. Your church became the hands and feet of Jesus by providing essentials like food, medicine, clothing, transportation, shelter, and much more. And instead of turning away, you stepped in to help the helpless. So thank you 
for giving to help refugees in Ukraine and other high conflict areas in this world. Because of you, they received the physical help and spiritual hope they needed to survive. So awesome, right? But it's more than that. Over the last 12 months, because of your generosity and, and our attempt to be faithful and let life flow from us, from Christ as our source, $1,376,053 have gone to missions, gone to things outside of our four walls, river, river of life going outside of us, all of that in the last 12 months. We thank God for what he's done. We thank God, right? Yes, for the privilege of representing him. But our, our story, our imagery of this river ends with a reminder that each month they will bear fresh fruit because the water still comes from the source, the sanctuary, the temple, runs by the altar, the blood of Jesus. Their fruit will be used for eating and their leaves for healing. And we're reminded that we have to stay connected to the source that we never graduate from the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from, uh, for, for us, that we never move past that, that we can never get life from anything but Christ. As our mission statement says, to glorify God by connecting people from all walks of life to life in Christ. Life in Christ is the source. And I, and I have to be honest, you know, I, I don't want this to, to all, I, I want to admit there's times where we have not stayed connected, either me as the pastor or some staff or, or, or sometimes our congregations. And, and, and sometimes when this happens, we become dry. Sometimes when this happens, we hurt people. And I am so sorry for that. I, I, whenever I find that out, it breaks me, and I'm reminded that I am that son of man. I am that weak, humble guy who makes mistakes, and our church is not perfect. Our church has messes. Our church has mess-ups, but the mercy of God and the grace of God and the blood of His Son are all greater than our mistakes and our mess-ups. And so we keep coming back to the sanctuary. We keep letting ourselves flow by the altar, the, the cross of Calvary, and getting power and life, and we keep going at it, and we keep going. And sometimes it's a trickle, and sometimes it's so deep we can't even uh, wade through it. That's who we are. So I, I ask you a couple questions, you know, questions that might lead to decisions. What is your source today? Is it what people think of you? Is it what has happened to you? Or is it what Jesus has done for you? What's flowing out of you today? Is it life-giving or life-taking? Is it bitterness or the joy and hope of Jesus? Are you thirsty today? You can have as much of God as you want. And are you connected to Christ, to his church, his people, to life from him? And I'll leave you with this. Be a bumblebee, be a river, be the church. Be a bumblebee, be a river, be the church. Here's what I mean. An aeronautical engineer 
did a big study of, of the physiology of a bumblebee. And he came to this conclusion. The wings of a bumblebee and the body weight of a bumblebee are not right, and the bumblebee should not be able to fly. But the bumblebee, oblivious to this man's research, goes ahead and flies anyway, because that's how God made him. God made us to fly. God made us to be a river. God calls us to be his church. And our source is supernatural. The same as the bumblebees. Our source is this. Christ crucified. Christ resurrected. Christ in us. Christ for us. Christ through us to bless those around us. I close and I just read the vision statement of our church with the source of our church always in view. We are a group of people convinced Jesus rose from the dead and committed to contributing to his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. We are from all walks of life, yet we are one in Christ. We are kingdom seekers in love with our king and living for his glory. This is why we exist. We are a group of people who gather every weekend not to sit through a religious sideshow, but to mobilize ourselves to bring God's love into our communities. So we break the huddle and we live sent. This is why we exist. We want to be known more here at Rockbridge for what we love more than what we hate. We want to talk more about what we're for than what we're against. We're not here to condemn the world or picket the world or moral majority the world or wag our finger at the world or merely survive the world, but to be salt and light in the world. This is why we exist. We're on a mission to manifest the kingdom of God in every corner of our communities. We'll seek to mobilize and send an army of bridge builders into our communities, schools, and neighborhoods to give hope. And we'll invest millions of dollars a year to serve the underserved. This is why we exist. We believe Jesus is king, so we are not content to live in a Christian bubble or create a Christian subculture. So we show up in Christ with Christ and for Christ, at the ball field, in business, education, and government. We show up in the neighborhood, on the job, in the classroom, and at the grocery store. This is why we exist. We believe that our message, the message of forgiveness, grace, and life in Christ, is the best and most relevant message in the history of the world. And we won't be silent about it. We'll invite our friends to hear about it. And we'll give our first and best resources to it. This is why we exist. And we know we are not perfect. In fact, we are far from it. But we strive for excellence and our passion is strong, our love is sincere, and our message is true. So until every person has the sure hope of Jesus in their soul, then our work is not complete. And we'll keep building bridges to connect them to Christ. And when opportunities arise to meet a need, to multiply new small groups, to launch new campuses. We'll break the huddle and you'll find us praying and giving and going. This is why we exist. 
And by God's grace, we're here to stay. We know not everyone will approve of us, but we're undeterred because we are the living, breathing church of King Jesus, blessed by him to be a blessing to others. This is why we exist. And so, Rockbridge, don't give up, don't let up. Don't be dismayed. Let the river flow. The gates of hell cannot prevail. Our king is alive. Our victory is assured. So break the huddle. The best is yet to come. Join with me as we pray together. Thank you, Jesus. You are our river of life. You are our very life. Thank you for 20 great years. Forgive us where we have failed to stay connected and to represent you correctly. Thank you for your grace. Renew in us the life-giving water that it may flow from us to bless those around us with the greatest life ever, life in Christ. In his name, the name above all names we pray, amen.